Yo, the Yankees suck. We're opening with that. Yeah. I also got Amish Country Mets joining me in a few minutes. We're going to be talking some New York Mets. Going to be discussing their three-game losing streak as well because it's not just the Yankees that stuck. The Mets do stuck too. The Knicks, game five, looking to secure the series tonight against the, Cla- against the Cavs, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Jesus, what am I doing? But yeah, that would be great. Miami Heat up 3-1, so maybe they can get a victory over the Bucks too soon. And uh, we would have a nice little path to the Eastern Conference Finals, potentially, if we can get past them. But yeah, New York sports going well, except for the Rangers. You know, they just lost the Devils the other night. Some people might say I jinxed them. So, sorry, Frankie and Bono, but the Rangers tuck right now, I guess, too. Panarin still hasn't scored this whole entire series. Neither has Mika's advantage, Ed, so we're going to be talking about that a little bit later. But you see it, right side, New York Yankees, three-game losing streak. They suck right now. What's going on? Judge only batting 244. Will be batting below 200. Everybody sucks right now. The pitching sucks right now. Nestor Cortez, he doesn't look like the same Nestor Cortez from last year. Garrett Cole, he's lights out. But other than that, this Yankees team just failed. The lineup, when you look at it, there's really no threat outside of Judge. I mean, Rizzo, yeah, he's popping off. He's having a great year, great start to the year. But is that sustainable? We haven't seen Rizzo put this up in a long, long time. Maybe it is sustainable. But even with him playing like this, the Yankees are just 7-8 and eight in their last 15 games. So does it even give you confidence that Anthony Rizzo is having the year he's having right now? Because really, when you look at it, it seems like this Yankees lineup just runs through one guy. And obviously, we all know that one guy is Aaron Judge. But I can't blame the Yankees. I can't blame Yankee fans. I blame Brian Cashman. That's who you got to look at because he bet on the kid. He bet on Oswaldo Cabrera, who's batting under 250 right now. He bet on Volpe. You know, he brought in, obviously, Frankie Cordero, who's not who's not a... Uh, who's not a rookie or any like anything like that but he's a veteran he's not he's not really proven he bet on a lot of unproven guys did the same thing last year with IKF so really when you look at it it's Cashman maybe it's the ownership not letting him spend as much money but I don't know outside of Aaron Judge and Anthony Rizzo he's like half he's not a full threat he's like a half a threat there's nobody that a pitcher is scared of even when Stanton's in the lineup. And you also got to prepare for Stanton to get hurt because he's been a guy who's injury-prone his whole entire career. So the Yankees, they're just effing up. Listen, they can obviously build from it, but it is alarming that their lineup sucks. It looks like they were going to bank on pitching as well. They were really going to bank on pitching. I mean, going into the season... The Mets and the Yankees, both of their rotations were being talked about as top five rotations. And now they both suck. So, that's another problem. So, I mean, when you look, like, I don't know what the strength of this Yankees team is. Look, what is the strength? It's Aaron Judge. It's not the rotation. It was supposed to be the rotation. But Rodon's hurt. And he hasn't pitched over 180 innings throughout his entire career. So that's a whole nother topic. And he was shut down from throwing just like five days ago. Nestor Cortez isn't the same anymore. That might have been just, I'm not saying it's a one-year wonder, but he, I don't think, last year was an outlier. This year, maybe he goes back to normal, which is 
a quality start, yeah, but not a lights-out start. Garrett Cole, he's giving you a solid out, and obviously every single time, not just a solid, a lights-out starting. And then you have Luis Severino, who's still on the IL, too. So the pitching is not the strength. Clark Schmidt, eh, no, he sucked. Brito, I mean, he looked good. He His first two starts, he flashed some stuff. Outside of that, he, he struggled too. So I really don't know what the strength of this Yankees team is right now. Obviously, when you look at the lineup, like I just said before, there's really no threat outside of Judge and Rizzo. Like I just said, he's a half a threat. He's not even a full threat. But um, I'm not going to spend too much time with the Yankees. I'm going to get my boy Bory in here soon so we can talk some Mets. Um, but really, there's just not too much to say on the Yankees because these were problems I think that Yankees fans already knew that could have been problems, and now they're just popping up. You know, we, we knew it was just Aaron Judge. We knew it was just outside of Aaron Judge. It's maybe a 220 John Carlos Stanton who's a hit-or-miss guy. And then you got who else? Rizzo. I mean, he's been popping off with the with the band uh, the band shift, but it's just I don't think if I'm a Yankees fan, I'm not excited about this team because even Glaber Torres, he had the hot start that he did to the year, but he's back to normal now. So there's nothing like I said. There's no strength to this Yankees team right now, and you know you look at the Mets. There might not be a strength, but there's not as many weaknesses on the Mets right now than there are the Yankees, but there are just as many. So let's talk about some of those weaknesses as the Mets are on a three-game losing streak right now. I'm going to be joined by Amish Country Mets. On You can follow him on Twitter. Check out his YouTube page. He's been growing fast as hell right now. Love his content, but let me pop him in right to the right side. What's up? What's up? What's up, Bory? Yo, what's up? Hold on one second. Got it. Yeah, I'm just... Just crapping on the Yankees right now, you know, doing doing my thing. All right, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. All right, what's up, brother? Nothing much, just discussing some Yankees, you know, talking about how they've been struggling. You know, they're also on a three-game losing streak, just like our Mets. But, um, yeah, man, thanks for coming on. You know, Bory's always been a caller for like the past two weeks now. So it's been pretty cool chatting with you on the phone. Now I finally got you here though on the live screen. So what's up? What's up, man? How we, uh, how we doing besides the Mets losses the past three games? I mean, not too bad. It's, I mean, all are too well. The Knicks are up three, one. So that's going well, but, uh, Rangers are shit in the bed. Mets not playing well. Not that I give a shit about the Yankees, but obviously they're not playing well. So these aren't going too great in New York sports land. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Rangers, I was surprised about that one, honestly. I did not see that one coming. I thought they would honestly wipe the floor with the Devils after the like after how it started. But the Devils are proving that they're no they're no easy out and that regular season was not not a funk. Not a funk. Yo, yo, what's up, Chris? How we doing? What's the static pod? Shout out. You're going on What's the Static on Friday, right? Yeah, we're doing a little something together, um, kind of previewing the Brave series and uh, recapping the Nat series, which hopefully goes better than it went last night. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's what we're hoping for. That's what we're hoping for. So overall, though, what do you think about these New York Mets now that they're on a three-game losing streak after a pretty good West Coast trip? But obviously the last two games and now the start to this homestand haven't been too pretty for the Mets. So dissect these problems for me. What do you think is going on with the team? Um, Lindor has been a guy who's struggling. Marte has been a guy who's struggling. Alonzo kind of, I know, he had that 10 home runs early on now. But even him, the last three games, he's been kind of quiet. So what's going on with this offense? Man, I, th- I think it's just an all-around struggle. I, th- I think these guys feed off of each other, and when absolutely none of them are clicking, it's it's hard for anybody to get going. I mean, Nim was super hot, and he's still getting hit here, get getting his hits here and there, but he's about the only one. Everybody else is kind of in a slump, and – when you're all slumping at the same time, it's hard to to build any momentum at all. Yeah, I feel 100%. It does feel like this lineup does feed off each other because when a lot, it's really like, at least with this lineup and less with the Yankees though, like you just said, we at least we have a guy like Nimmo who could pick it up. Hopefully when Nimmo is struggling, Alonzo can get going. Um, but Lindor, he's also struggling right now too. He's been struggling a little bit longer than Alonzo. So now that I do mention Lindor, um, you mentioned to me yesterday, he's a, he is a guy who does get off to slow starts here and there. And he did last year, get off to a, not a slow start, but not a Francisco Lindor start by any means. And then the second half of the year, he really started cooking. So what do you think of Francisco Lindor? Should fans be worried or should fans just take a step back, take a deep breath and realize, okay, things are going to get going soon. Yeah. That, I- this is Francisco's MO going back to Cleveland. Like he's always been a slow starter. His April and even May at times don't go very well. And then when the world starts up, he starts heating up. Like that's just the way he is. It's I think people expected, and even I to an extent expected more just because in the WBC, he was like really cooking, but uh, obviously that slowed down a bit. I'm not worried about him at all. I think he's going to pick it up. I, th- I think overall as a team, they're going to pick it up. It's just it, it ebbs and flows, man. It's the way baseball works. It's I just I get everybody's very reactionary. It's the nature of being a fan. But sometimes you got to take a step back and chill. Like we're not we're not in last place. We're not games under 500. We're we're in a little bit of a dry spell right now. It'll they'll get better. It's just. I mean, our rotation is in shambles on top of the hitting. Not like it's just we need guys back. We need Verlander back. We need Scherzer back. We need Senga to start cooking. We need it's just, I mean, those three are going to carry us. That we're going to need to find more rotation help later in the summer. I don't, I don't have much trust in Peterson or McGill. I don't know how long we can ride with Lucchese. Budo's proven he hit or miss. He doesn't have very good control. Um, so we're going to need probably to pick somebody up. I mean, I guess you can bank on Quintana maybe coming back, but that's not till July at least. So, Yeah, like you said, this rotation, it's kind of what we were banking on going into the year. But one of the positives from the Mets, you mentioned it earlier, Brandon Nimmo, he's been raking. Um, so what are, what are you thinking of his start right now? He's hitting like you see right there, 349, the 456 on base percentage. 
he's always been a guy who's got on base, but this season it's been ridiculous. It's been more than ever. So what do you think of Nimmo's start and overall that eight-year deal that he got? You think he's proven it, that it's that it's worth it? Yeah, so far so good. I was never one that was shitting on the deal that bad. I mean, I is he maybe a little overpaid? If he plays like this, obviously not. But at the time, it did seem like maybe it was a little much, but they didn't really have any other backup options. Um, but right now, he's playing like an MP. So he, I, you could argue that's a steal of a deal. So uh, the last few games, somebody mentioned this in one of the spaces last night. Need him to walk more. This team, this team functions on getting on base, playing as much as people hate it, playing small ball. They like the on base percentage. They like their little infield hits. They need to get stuff like that to get everybody going. And the last few days, they haven't done it at all. Obviously, we're not. Yes, Alonzo hits bombs left and right, but he's about one of the only ones in the lineup that's true like power. So we need to do the other little things to succeed. Yeah, I feel that 100%. Last year, we were one of the best offenses in baseball when we were cooking with that small ball mentality. And if we, I know it doesn't, obviously, like you said, not, not all fans are big fans of it, but sometimes it is a little bit more fun seeing balls fly all over the field instead of all over the park necessarily. But um, not only Nimmo has been tearing it up the past four games. Now Brett Beatty has recorded a hit. So obviously Alvarez hitting 167 right now. He's not panning out too well, but Brett Beatty, he's looking sharp, but Alvarez also hit a home run the other day too. So what do you think of the kids? And more importantly, do you think that both of them can stay up at the major league level? Even when both guys who they replaced with injuries, I'm going to put in quotation marks, for Beatty because he replaced LeCastro, but let's be real. I don't think that's the case. But what do you think of those two? You think they got a shot at staying up here long-term? Yeah, I honestly don't think Beatty's going anywhere. I mean, unless he gets hurt, hopefully not. Um, I think he's our third baseman from now on, period. Um, Alvarez, we'll see. Um uh, he's obviously he looks better. Like we've all said, the more you give him ch- chances to play, the better he more comfortable. He looks if he keeps getting opportunities, I think the bat's going to come around. Uh, if he starts sitting again, then it's probably going to be a little slower go. Um, but I could see him going back down if, and when Narvaez gets healthy, I just know Buck loves Nito. I don't see them getting rid of Narvaez either. So, unless they're going to carry three catchers, which probably not. I can definitely see Alvarez going back down, but I don't think Beatty's going anywhere. Yeah, Beatty has definitely been – He's even when he gets out, he's getting hard outs. There was a stat that came up the other day. Um, all like – I think it's like 15 of his outs, which isn't even that much. They're just scorching, scorching off the ball. I'm not sure what the exact mileage is on it, but – um. Francisco Alvarez, though, when Omar Narvaez does come back, he has been hitting 286, and some people have been getting on Nito. So do you think that there's any shot at all that Nito, with the slow start that he's gotten off to, maybe Alvarez, if he can get it going a little bit, if Narvaez comes back, you think that there's any slight chance that he could potentially stay up on the roster? If 
it were up to me, yes. But uh, I just know. Listen, I we'll talk about it. I'm not a buck hater. I just I have issues with the way he handles kids at times. I know he plays favorites with the veterans. Like that's just a fact. So yeah. and he praises Nito every chance he gets. And Nito last year he was a decent backup catcher. This year, if you can't play defense, bro, then you not you don't even deserve a roster spot. Like your bat obviously stinks. So what are you providing right now? If you can't provide the defense, then I don't need you on this team. But I don't think Buck sees it that way. So I I just don't I've unless if Alvarez goes on a tear, obviously it's going to be hard for them to like go, all right, well, you're going back to AAA while you're breaking here. But if Alvarez continues to struggle, then we're probably going to see Nito and Arvaez and Alvarez going to hit AAA again. Yeah, Alvarez, though, even though the bat has been struggling to start, it seems like it's starting to pick up. He's striking out a lot less than he was when he first came up. So, Definitely swinging at better pitches. Um, but defensively, what do you think of Alvarez, though? He he has looked pretty good. Do you think that defense, that was some things that the fans and the coaching staff were kind of worried about coming into the year, do you think we should still have those same worries, or do you think he's proved that he's really worked on it this year? No, he, de- he definitely proved he's worked on it. He, he looks a lot better. He looks a lot more comfortable back there. He Looks like he's taking charge at times with the pitchers. Like I, I like what I see from his defense. Um, his throwing out base runners. I mean, he's a little. He's got a crazy good arm. He's just his release is not quite there. It's not quick enough. If he can work on that, then that'd be great. But other than that, man, he looks pretty good. He, he's obviously he's had some struggles, but it's a he's a rookie. It's gonna happen, but. I, I like his defense. Hell, he's better than Nito behind the plate. Yeah, he has definitely looked better than Nito behind the plate, and that's the one thing. Um, You even mentioned, too, that Nito, he was a good backup catcher last year, and I think that's the biggest thing for him, too. He's got to get back in that backup role. He's not a starting catcher. So we got exactly. we got to get Nito out of the role that he's in now, and uh, it would definitely help if Alvarez could get going a little bit, but like you said, He's only 21 years old. He's so young. He's a catcher, too. We see catchers. They do take a little bit longer to develop because they do got to not just learn hidden. They got to learn a lot on the defensive side. You're working with, like, let's think, how many pitchers do the Mets have, including relievers, over, like, 12, right? So you got to get on board with those, all 12 of those guys. And So I'm not really too worried about Alvarez, but Beatty's definitely looking nice. But tonight... Kodai Senga's on the mound. He has been walking a lot of guys. He had four walks in his last start. But his yep. first two starts, he looked very good. What does he need to do to get back to that? I think it's just time with him, man. He's getting used to the new ball. He's getting used to just being ML, the difference between MLB and the Japanese league. Learning all the hitters. He's got a lane barrier he's dealing with, like, a lot to take on <laughs> as a rookie um yeah he's not your normal like 20 year old rookie but still like it's a lot to learn i think the, the more he goes the more pitches the better he's gonna be um and the nets are not a good hitting lineup I, i'm probably gonna regret saying this but there's no reason he shouldn't mow them down tonight like as long as he can like 
keep his control in check, like he should be able to to set these guys down. Yeah, it would definitely suit him well, especially his first two starts. They were what against the Miami Marlins, so that definitely bolded well for him too. Um, but Senga, I think he's a guy who's got a lot of potential. I know earlier you were talking about how we really need those three guys in the front of the rotation when Verlander does come back and Scherzer's back from his rotation. We really need those three guys to carry us. And hopefully when Quintana gets back, he can really help us too. But uh, David Peterson, he's been struggling. Tyler McGill, I mean, he's been shaky, but he's been doing the job. Um, Obviously not what he did last year to start the year, but still struggling a little bit. But good enough, not worse. I mean, well, not worse than David Peterson. But um, what do you think of those two guys? Do you think maybe uh, one of them gets bumped when Carrasco is healthy, even though Carrasco has been terrible? Um, bump for Carrasco? Who knows? I mean, they he stinks too. I, I don't miss Peterson at all. I, I don't like him. I, I think he's another Steven Matz. I've said that multiple times. Like, it's not – I don't think he's that good. McGill shows a little more promise, but there's times where he's very hittable as well. Honestly, if it, I would hope we could get both of them out of the rotation. Obviously, that's not going to happen for a while. Um, I've always thought McGill profiled more as a reliever, relief pitcher. I know last year they tried it, and he didn't look great, but I still, I still see him more in that role. Hell, if he could take over like the long relief role, that would be awesome. Yeah, uh, we don't be, we have that, that guy. guy. Um, we had Trevor Williams, and he did awesome in that role. Um, mm-hmm. Now he's um, actually starting against us tomorrow. Um, so yeah, I feel like we need a guy to 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 take that role of the long reliever, and I think I think McGill in particular, I think could do it. Peterson, I don't trust, man. If I could like package him with somebody to get another piece, I would. Yeah, we could get rid of Peterson somehow, especially to get something else in. That would definitely be that would be great. But before I do let you go, my grandpa, Buck Show Walter. <laughs> what's going on? Why is he getting the hate? Obviously, the kids is one reason, but do you think game management wise, is there anything that Buck does that pisses you off particular? Because I know for me, there's a lot of things that he does do that does irk me. Like, for instance, Canna, when he bats him fifth. Like, I get it, but it seems like he's just being too analytical in that sense sometimes. Whereas mm-hmm. McNeil, I feel like, would be better suited more in like an everyday spot just so he can kind of get into a groove. Um, but yeah, other things, I know some people get upset with like the bullpen decisions, but Buck, man, he's... Honestly, he's probably like Verlander has pressure on him. Actually, Verlander doesn't really have pressure on him. He's already won a lot of rings. Scherzer, he's already won a ring. But there's a lot of pressure on guys like Alonzo, of course, guys like Lindor, guys like Nimmo, guys like even McNeil, who all just got paid, or Alonzo, who's trying to get paid. Um, But I really feel like there's a lot of pressure on Buck Showalter this season. So what do you think Buck Showalter needs to do to kind of take that pressure off of himself? And do you think Buck's really the guy for this team to get over the hump and get the job done in the, uh, get the job done in the playoffs? 
Yeah, I don't know that there's anything in particular he can do. I think a lot of it's based on the players and how they perform. Um, he's a good, he's not a bad in-game manager. His lineup decisions at times are frustrating. Obviously, he can harm about the kids. That's my that's my biggest gripe with him. Yeah, um, I feel like he gives a lot of veterans leashes. Yeah, my bad. I mean to cut you off. Every manager, every fan base bitches about managers are in the way they handle the bullpen we never agree it just is what it is um yes he does make some questionable calls but he does a decent job of keeping guys fresh and i like that um the lineup yeah there's things i wish he would change honestly man and it proved last year it proved to be true and this year it's proving it again Marte, big issue bro Marte's not being he's I don't think he's healthy and they for some reason they won't IL him I they should I think he just doesn't look right at all on the field man he there's something wrong with him and this team when he's doing what he can do like this team is really good when he's in the two hole just playing miserable like and yesterday he came up in that big spot and he flailed at that three-two pitch. Like, I mean, it was a it was a nasty pitch, but man, he just does. At that point, at that bat, that I feel confident he was going to come through, and that shouldn't be the case. Yeah, Marte, he was a guy at one point. I even myself labeled him as one of our most consistent hitters, and that's why yeah. I think last year a lot of fans started to fall in love with Starlin Marte because he was very consistent, but. Lately, he's been very inconsistent. He's only hitting 239, and it's not like he's hitting 239 and getting on base a lot. At least Lindor, you know, we're seeing him, you know, he's hitting 221 only, but he's getting, he's coming up in big spots with runners in scoring position. He's getting on base, working the count. With Marte, like you said, he's flailing at bad pitches. Um, even when he does put the ball in play, he'll jog to first. So, it's definitely – it does look like something's going on with him, so I agree there. Um, but, yeah, the one last thing I did want to ask you, though, DH-wise, do you think this Mets team is is okay with what we got going? Tommy Pham here and there. Vogie, obviously, the main guy. But what do you think of uh, the DH right now? If the other guys are doing what they're supposed to, we could survive with the DH as it is. When the lineup as a whole looks like trash, we can't have Vogelback and Fam carrying that spot. They're just not – they don't provide enough thump. After that DH role, I need somebody that's a power threat. And, I mean, Vogel should be, but he hasn't been. I mean, he has been hitting a little better lately, but still that power isn't really there. Fam has shown his moments, but, again, like I almost rather him split more time with Canna than – DH like I, I we need I, I don't know if it's I don't know why they won't I really wonder what the hell the problem is with Vientos that they won't give him a shot like that is mind-boggling to me the dude's been in AAA now for he's it's gonna be going on one and a half years <laughs> he just he, he keeps mashing the ball and they just won't give him a chance yeah it would be nice to see Vientos get a shot even the swing is long. 
It is very long, but when he makes contact, that ball goes very far. So it would be nice to see him get an actual shot rather than last year where he just had that little short stint where it feels like he didn't really, like I just said, he just didn't really get a shot. So um, it would be nice. I feel like Beatty is kind of blocking him a little bit, but, you know, that DH spot is open. So uh, maybe if Fam and, and Vogie do kind yeah, of start I don't to, expect him to play third. I don't expect him to play the field at all, to be honest. He, the fact that he's a butcher in the field is well known. It's just there's no reason he can't just be the DH. Like, I, yeah. at least give him a shot. It's not like anybody's running with the ball right now. Yeah, 100%, I feel. Um but the Mets farm system, it has definitely been getting better 100%, you know, with Ronnie and all of them now. But, uh, you know, what are your last thoughts, though, before I do let you go? Uh, what are your predictions overall for this rest of the Washington Nationals series? And what do you think the Mets need to do to turn this three-game losing streak around? They got to, like I said before, they got to start working at bats. They got to get their walks. They got to. Play play small ball. They have to get on base. They haven't been doing that. Um, I think I think Senga can pitch well tonight. I see us taking the next two. Um, hopefully, I'm not wrong. My only trepidation is that the, there's a lefty on the mound tonight, and we always struggle against lefties, especially lefties we've never seen. Um, so we'll see. Hopefully, maybe Senga can just outduel them. <laughs> um, that would be ideal. As far as the team as a whole, like going forward, I, I think we're going to be okay. I think this team is going to need to just stay above water until the deadline and make some moves. I think as constructed, they're not going to go to the World Series like that. I think if they can get a few guys in here, I think that'll put them over the top. But as constructed right now, I, I still see them making the playoffs. I just think they need they're gonna need a move or two to really put them over the top, make them a world series contender. Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean that move could have been Correa, but then again, Correa, um obviously with all the injuries and stuff that fell through. But you know, always gotta believe, right? That's the uh that's our slogan as Mets yep. fans. We gotta believe. But um Thank you, man. Thank you for coming on. It was much better getting you uh, on the screen rather than just the phone. So uh, <laughs> I really appreciate you taking, you know, a little bit more time and popping on the show. I appreciate you, man. Appreciate you having on it. Anytime you want to do it again, just let me know. Yes, sir. And you want to give yourself a little quick shout out the uh, Amish Country Mets fan page? Yeah, man. If, if you're watching this, please subscribe to my YouTube. Last I checked, I was at 98 subscribers, almost at that. 100 that was a goal for me it's only my first month so i think that's pretty good um so please follow um subscribe to amish country mets fan on youtube follow me at country on twitter and yeah man I, i'm gonna i hope to collab with more people and do more things and i got all all kinds of ideas so give me a follow yes sir yes sir yes sir all right thanks boy thanks for hopping on my man all right, thanks a lot, bro. Peace out. Later. All right, make sure you guys go subscribe to his channel, though, at Amish Country Met on Twitter, at Amish Country Mets Fan on YouTube. He's got some good stuff, a lot of good, unique Mets content. And as you just heard him, 
He's one of the best Mets minds, one of the best Mets fans out there. He knows his stuff. He knows his shit. He know he's been a fan for a long time. So, I mean, and he's he's smart. Let's be real. Like, there's some Mets fans who, you know, we feel even myself. I mean, all Mets fans, we all act emotionally. But I'm telling you, you subscribe to Amish Country Mets. You're not just gonna get the emotional Mets fan side. You're gonna get the logical Mets fan side. So, and he knows his baseball, not just Mets baseball. He knows a lot of baseball. So make sure you give him a follow. He's got some good content out there. Um, but yeah, let's segue from baseball into the Knicks because the Knicks play tonight, trying to secure the postseason. Well, the first round postseason victory for the first time in what since I think it was what over a decade now? Is it over a decade since Mellow? But um, yeah, I think the conversation's got to be starting up with Jalen Brunson potentially being a better New York Nick than Carmelo Anthony. I know a lot of Knicks fans don't want to talk about it, but Jalen Brunson. I think at the end of this year, we're going to start talking about it because he's really made that much of an impact in year one. Year one. Also, we signed him. We didn't have to give up anything for him. Oh, and all this hoopla about the Knicks would be better off with Donovan Mitchell is just stupid. It's stupid. It's stupid. It's stupid. Because if we traded for Donovan Mitchell, one, we would have less picks that could less picks, one pick that we use to acquire Josh Hart, who's been huge this series. I'm going to pop it up to the right side of my screen. You look right there, Josh Hart, 13.5 points per game, 6.8 rebounds per game, 1.5 steals per game, 60% from the field. So if we have Donovan Mitchell, okay, then we don't have this guy. Then we don't have Obi Toppin on the bench. We don't have R.J. Barrett dropping 26 points last game. We don't have Quentin Grimes, who made those two clutch free throws and played a lot lockdown defense the first two games. We don't we don't have picks that could acquire another superstar or I don't know, maybe a better superstar than Donovan Mitchell. So we get Donovan Mitchell, the New York Knicks, instead of the five seed, they'd be the four seed. And without Donovan Mitchell, we're the five seed beating the four seed that traded for Donovan Mitchell. So I don't want to hear anymore that the Knicks would be better off without Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, I agreed too. We definitely would have struggled to build around him and Brunson. I feel like right now we got a full on team. RJ Barrett, he's a guy too that I wanted to I wanted to get into a little bit because RJ, you know, with the year that he had, there's been a lot of rumors that him potentially get moved this offseason. Potential rumors that, you know, he might he might just be dealt overall. The Knicks might be done with him because of how he performed this year, especially on the offensive side of the ball. But with the playoffs and the po- in the postseason, he's been great, you know, and that's really when it matters. It matters in the postseason. So, you know, why not just keep this guy and see what we can build around this team that we have right now? And another guy that we would have lost in that trade is Mitchell Robinson, actually, too. I forgot to even mention him, and Mitchell Robinson has been huge this postseason. Him and Isaiah Hartenstein, probably one of the best center duos in the la- in recent memory. I mean, we were trying to get that little duo with, Mitchell Robinson and Nerlens Noel a couple of years ago, but it didn't work out because either Noel was hurt or either Mitchell was hurt. And we always had to have Taj Gibson either as the starter or either as the other guy on the bench. But now with Mitch, now that he's been healthy, Hartenstein's been on the floor, obviously for every single game, you know, our center, there's no, it's, it's production, straight production. We might not have a Joel Embiid or a Nikola Jokic or a Rudy Gobert, but we have, two great centers and two great centers combined for an elite center. So 
We have an elite center position. And then, obviously, Randall, you saw him. We didn't need him in the last six minutes because we have Obi Toppin. He might not score as much as Randall, but he can score when he needs to. He will make the big three. If he gets a lot of minutes, he makes more threes. That's one thing. And two, the space that he provides on the floor. I was talking about it yesterday with David from Top Bunk Sports. You can go check out that episode right now on my YouTube page from yesterday. David popped on Top Bunk Sports. Shout out you guys. Well, just David right now at Top Bunk Sports, but he's continuing to grow. It's a great thing going on over there. But he was even pointing out yesterday the spacing that Obi Toppin creates on the floor is much more efficient than than, Juli- than Julius Randle when he's on the floor. So that's another thing. Um, and obviously with Quentin Grimes and Josh Hart being able to step in and just provide the same production that he provided when he was coming off the bench. I'm going to pop it up right here to the right side of my screen. We were touching on it a little bit yesterday, me and David, that, you know, Josh Hart has really been huge for this Knicks team all freaking year, and especially in the postseason, you know, stepping in when he gets – I put it up earlier on my Twitter today. When he gets over uh, 30-plus minutes in the postseason, it's only been two games, but in those two games he averages – 18 points per game. He had 19, uh, 17 points in game one. He had 19 points last game. So Josh Hart, and then the rebounding too, he's always crashing the glass, always crashing the glass on offensively and defense. Um, and then obviously he's making the shots. So you see right there, 60% from the field. So he's not missing. He's taking smart shots. He's not taking stupid shots. He's being unselfish with the basketball. So you take Josh Hart off this team. That's a big blow to this team. I'm hoping that we re-sign him in the offseason um, and bring him back because he's really a big part of this team. And, you know, uh, he really stepped in for Quentin Grimes. That's huge because Grimes has been huge for us all year, not only on the offensive end, you know, making threes for us, clutch threes, but defensively. Um, but Josh Hart, obviously – providing just as much and then quickly a guy who needs to get it going i'm going to be talking about Emmanuel quickly and julius randall right now the fact that the knicks are winning without those two guys performing that's a great sign one and the miami heat hopefully they can secure a victory over the bucks hopefully we can secure a victory over the over the Cavs. and then we have a nice little matchup over the heat you know we can we're favored over the heat i think we would have home court advantage too so that'd be a huge plus too um But really, I think the two key guys that we need to get going if we want to actually make a deep run this postseason, it's Emmanuel Quickly and Julius Randle. I'm gonna before I do get into my three keys, um, those guys are not part of my keys because they just need to get it going. Obviously, we saw it's not a key to victory. We don't need those two guys to go off to win because we have other guys. So those guys are my other keys. But those two guys, if they start to go off then this Knicks team is going to have no problem beating the Cavs tonight. If Julius Randle can get back to scoring 25 a night like he averaged in the regular season, the Knicks will have no problem with the Cavs. The Knicks will have no problem if they make the next round, if they can secure a victory tonight or in six or seven. You know, Emmanuel quickly, he's a guy in the last 20 games of the season, he was scoring over 20 a night. What happened to that guy? What happened to our six-man of the year candidate, Emmanuel quickly? Where is that guy? We need that guy too. At times, he looks afraid. He literally looks afraid to shoot the ball. You know, at t- like you saw Emmanuel quickly drive into the paint, getting his buckets. Maybe that's another thing, too, because you do see quickly his two-point percentage took a big, big rise this year. Maybe because Jalen Brunson was here, you know, working on the floaters a lot more, working inside the arc a lot more. Quickly did that a lot more this year than last year. So maybe that has to do with it, too, you know, not getting inside the paint as much with Jared Allen and Evan Mobley being down low. Um, that could be another possibility and why quickly is struggling. I'm not sure, but Randall is just getting locked up by Mobley. So Randall's got to figure it out. Um, the first game, Randall was doing something different, I think, 
than he is doing these last couple games. Feels like these last couple games he's trying to take his his jump shots a lot more. Whereas in game one, he was really just playing bully. Bully, bully, bully basketball. He was backing down Evan Mobley, making the unselfish pass, going up for the rebounds. But, you know, he's still playing hard. That's a great thing. You know, you saw in the in the last game, you know, that chase down block against Donovan Mitchell, he had kind of had a little deke there. That was huge. You know, that really stopped the Cavs' run. So Julius Randle, even though he's not scoring, he's still he's still making an impact positively for the Knicks. So that's a great thing to look at. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm just looking at in game five, I really think we need to win this one. I don't want to see the Knicks go back to don't go back to the garden. Don't get to a game six. Because if you get to a game six, then you put the pressure and all the hoopla of, oh, are the Cavs gonna force game seven? Are the Cavs gonna force game seven? Don't even make that be a conversation. Win tonight. Cavs are not like listen, the Cavs are they're probably I think statistically they were the best defensive team in all of basketball this year. But when the Knicks play defense and they try and they put in an actual effort when guys like Julius Randle, especially, are putting in an effort on defense, that's when the Knicks will show up and that's when the Knicks will win. And that's why the Knicks have been winning because Julius Randle hasn't showed up on the offensive end, but he's still putting that effort in defensively. We have a better physical team. We're more physical than them. So that's what we have been all series long, and we have to continue to do that tonight. I'm hoping that the Knicks don't be like, oh, we're up 3-1. We got the series done already. No, finish the job tonight. Don't take tonight off because even in game two, they took that game two, the Knicks took off. It was like they got that game one win, and they were on such a high and such a, a game one hangover. I don't want them to be on the three-to-one hangover, if that makes any sense. I don't know if I'm just making that up right now, but – the three to one hangover, don't let it happen. Don't let a game six be forced because then that brings up the conversation. The Cavs can force game seven. And then game seven, I I I don't want. I don't want. I don't want. Screw a game seven. It sounds cool. It sounds fun if the Knicks would win a game seven, but we all know that would not it would just not be fun to watch that whole entire time. Um, so let's let's just get the job done. Let's get it done tonight, especially if the Heat. Can, if the Bucks make the Heat series a little bit longer, too, we would have a little bit more rest, so that would be huge, too. Um, but I'm going to take a quick five minutes here, and then I'm going to get into the Giants and Jets draft rumors. But actually, before I do, let me do my three keys. So key number one, physicality. Physicality, bring the physicality. Mitchell Robinson getting up on the rebounds. Isaiah Hartenstein, Obi Toppin, too. He's been very physical. Very physical this series. So I want to see Obi continue to get his minutes so he can be physical on the boards. Josh Hart as well. He's been crashing the boards left and right. So we need those four guys especially get on the board. Same thing with Randall too. So those five guys really get on the boards. Um, key number two, the bench. Obi Toppin and Isaiah Hartenstein. I was looking at Josh Hart a little bit. Obviously, he's in the starting lineup now. But those two guys have every night they've shown up. Obi and Hartenstein have not been a negative impact they've they've been a positive impact every time they've been on the floor so uh, continue to do that obviously Emmanuel quickly if he gets going it'd be great but Obi and Hartenstein those two guys on the bench that's my key number two so the bench step it up because we got a better bench and our bench didn't show up in game two the one game we lost this series um and then key number three Jalen Brunson that's simple Jalen Brunson doesn't go off we're screwed because I don't think anybody is confident in Julius Randle going off for 25-plus points tonight. We need Jalen Brunson. He's been our guy all year. He's 
arguably an MVP candidate in the whole entire league this year. He's our MVP. So we need Jalen Brunson to show up again. That's our guy. He's been playoff proven, not only with the Knicks, but with the Mavs last year. And he's carried it on over with the Knicks in the first round. So Jalen Brunson is key number three and probably the most important key because our team runs through Jalen Brunson. So I'm going to take a five-minute break here. Going to be back in uh, whatever this video uh, takes. I got to get another another video preview, but yeah, take you know, even after Otani, you know, what do you think? What do you think about Steve Cohen as a whole? Like, you think this guy, what do you think he did for this Mets franchise so far? Yeah, I think starting with the first half of the question, Otani's certainly on the table. Um, uh, the biggest barrier in the Mets way from them landing him isn't dollars, but it really is just preference. Um, if Otani still has the same preference that he had uh, entering the MLB, which is West Coast, then the likelihood of him landing with the Mets isn't as strong as, say, the Dodgers, who, while the Dodgers might not be able to put up the highest dollar uh, for Otani the way that the Mets would, it wouldn't be shocking if Otani, say, took a slight pay cut from the Dodgers versus what the Mets offer would be. They weren't drastically different to stay in LA, that area to be with the Dodgers and be on the championship winning type organization still. So that is the biggest hurdle in landing him. But rest assured, we've all known by now that when Cohen has his eyes set on someone, he's going to do everything physically and humanly possible to acquire them. And, you know, I don't expect a Carlos Correa, you know, broken ankle type situation 2.0 here with Otani. So, Rest assured, if the interest is there, which we all know it is, uh, the Mets will at minimum do their due diligence and give a valiant effort in landing him. And should they not especially, then you look at the Manny Machado. You know, I, I think either way, the Mets are in a strong position to land one of the top free agents next year. It's just a matter of if it's going to be the best player in baseball or is it going to be one of the best third basemen in the game? So, yeah, we'll discuss that more as we get closer to the trade deadline, depending on where the Angels are at and things of that nature. But yeah, they will certainly be involved. And to answer the second part, yeah, Cohen, I mean, it, everything that I say, you know by now, right? He's just done an amazing job as Mets owner over the past couple of years. Um, I had the privilege of meeting him um, a couple months ago, back in early January at a Mets event. And he was just, you know, exactly what you would expect him to be. I mean, just the fact that he goes so out of his way constantly to interact with fans, people, media, just really showing that the only difference between you and I and Cohen is the dollars in our net worth. Aside from that, the same interest level is there when it comes to being a diehard true Mets fan. That is what is was the focal point in him buying the team in the first place. It wasn't because of this being a superior investment long-term. No, it's because he wants to bring championships to Queens as, as a desperate fan, and I don't blame him. I, I would do the exact same thing if I had the money to back it and if I were in his shoes. So, um, yeah, everything he's done from top down, not only in the organization with the amount of funding for the roster, which is close, right around double more that he spent on guaranteed contracts alone since he became an owner, which is around $1.4 billion than the next closest owner in baseball over the past couple of years, which is Steinbrenner of the Yankees, around $880 million. Um, aside from investing a record amount of dollars over that period of time, with on-field product, it's off the field. It's with the coaching staff with Show Walter Epler, the hundred. Yo, I'm back. Let's talk about these New York Jets draft rumors. Let's get into them. But before we do get into some draft rumors, I want to talk about 
Aaron freaking Rodgers officially being a New York Jet. And not just the fact that how Aaron Rodgers is going to just be a dog over here. It's about how the other guys around him are going to turn into dogs. Garrett Wilson, already a dog last year, put up 1,100 yards. I had one of my friends named Matt McGalley being an absolute fool and trying to tell me, blah, 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 Garrett Wilson isn't a number one. Dude, shut up. Shut up, McGalley. Because Garrett Wilson had 1,100 yards last year with three horrible quarterbacks. He had a washed-up Joe Flacco after he was in the washing machine a washing machine without a dryer. He was like literally he's all mildew up right now. That's who was throwing in the ball for the first half of the like first three games. Then he obviously had Zach Wilson straight out of your fraternity house slugging beers trying to bang MILFs. That's the guy who was throwing Garrett Wilson the football. And then you obviously had Mike White straight out of Madden, the franchise story when you go like, oh, late round draft pick, trying to be all cute. And now he's with Miami, but good for Mike White. You know I love Mike White. This is a Mike White show. But Garrett Wilson putting up 1,100 yards with those three guys throwing to him, that makes him a number one in my books, especially when you're that young. Now you're getting a four-time MVP, a guy who won – two out of the last three MVPs, so he's not washed up. He had a broken thumb last year and still put up 26 passing touchdowns Still and only 12 interceptions. That's a very good touchdown-to-interception ratio. Obviously, he's going to throw a little bit more picks with a broken thumb. Try throwing a football with no thumb. It's hard, and he did that because you know what? He even said it himself. 65% of Aaron Rodgers is better than 100% of Jordan Love. So, And we didn't even have to give up that much to get him. We give up the conditional first round pick, which will totally be worth it if we have to give that up. Because if we if we give that up, that means we win either a Super Bowl or he's played sixty five games. So it's a who cares if we give up that first round pick and the second round picks? Eh, I don't really care about a second round pick to be honest. We still have the fifteenth pick too. We went from thirteen to fifteen, so we really didn't even lose a first round pick. When you think about it, we only lose a first-round pick if we need to when we win or he plays 65 games. So that's the only way we would give up, uh, give up picks. Jets, J- yes, yes, Drew. Jets are world champs. Jets are world champs. Shout-out, Drew. Shout-out the Mets way, too. We're going to be going live either one of these next few days. Um, but, yeah, I agree that the Jets will be world champs one day. And if we aren't world champs in the next two years – well, then we will be sad, 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 sad. Because giving up, I'm not like giving up what we gave up doesn't mortgage our future or anything. Like, we still got Sauce Gardner. We still got Garrett Wilson. We still got Quentin Williams. We still got um, who else do we have that's a very young, strong piece? Not really anybody. Uh, yeah, those are really the only three strong. Oh, Brees Hall, too. Why am I not thinking of Brees Hall? Jesus Christ. What am I on drugs? Brees Hall, another strong piece going forward. So those four guys we can trade a build around. Um, DJ Reed, he's still only 26 years old. CJ Mosley will probably retire by then. But you know, we have a strong Elijah Vera Tucker, another strong core piece. Makai Becton, if he can kind of figure out his health concerns. So yeah, I love I love the direction that this team is headed in, even post Aaron Rodgers. They just, but my only issue is we need to find another quarterback in two years once Aaron Rodgers is gone. But these next two years, we got to win. Got to freaking win. Because one, C.J. Mosley ain't getting any younger. C.J. Mosley is a very good linebacker. Um, Carl Lawson, not getting any younger. Jordan Whitehead, not getting any younger. D.J. Reed, 26 years old, entering the prime years of his career. Sauce Gardner, Brees Hall, and Garrett Wilson, for a second-year player going into their second years, 
they're matured as, as as fuck. Like, there's no other better way to put it. They're matured. They're they looks like they've been. It sounds like they've been in the league whenever they speak to the media, whenever they do things. It, it looks like they those three have been in the league for ten plus years, but they haven't. They've been in the year for one, and they Sauce is already a top three cornerback in the league, arguably the best cornerback in the AFC. And Garrett Wilson probably will be a top 10 receiver come the end of the next year after Aaron Rodgers, a bad man, two out of the three last MVPs is throwing him the football, 1,100 yards with three dog water QBs. Now you put him with a top five QB. Jesus, this guy, he had more yards than Jamar Chase last year. Now imagine what Garrett Wilson is going to do. Um, So I'm pumped, like I said, for what Aaron Rodgers provides for other players. He's going to open up the run game too. So even when Brees Hall is Brees Hall obviously isn't probably going to start the season. He's coming off the torn ACL, so we can't really expect too much. Um, but what I will say though is that having Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback, having not only Garrett Wilson in the receiving room, you also have McCole Hardman, a two-time Super Bowl champ with the Chiefs. You have Alan Lazard, Aaron Rodgers' right-hand man with the Packers for the last three years. And then you also have Corey Davis, who's still on the roster too. So you have four legitimate wide receivers who he can get the ball into their hands and they could do magical things with it after they catch it. And then you also have C.J. Uzmoa and Tyler Conklin, a very good tight end duo. So we really just need an O-line to build up. That's what I think we need to really do in the draft is really try to build up that O-line. Um, and we still got the 15 pick, so maybe we do something with that. Um, but this whole entire team, the, like, it's just it's loaded. It's rocked and ready to load. So not only is Brees Hall, like, because he can't start the year, big whoop. Like, we still got Michael Carter, who's a very talented running back. And with the offense that we have, the weapons that Aaron Rodgers has to dish the ball out to downfield, the run game will be opened up, even for a guy like Michael Carter. Bam Knight, we even saw when Mike White was opening up the run game, when Mike White was having his Mike White's game, uh, Mike White's games, um, like Brees, uh, not Brees Hall, Bam Knight, he was going off. He was having not hundred plus yard games, eighty plus yard games. So obviously, then when the quarterback play took a dip, Bam Knight's uh, play took a dip. So it'll be opened up even without Brees Hall. That's why I think he he just makes this whole entire team better. Um, and then going into the draft, now that um, the draft is tomorrow night. You know, we have the 15th overall pick. We could either, hey, trade for another legit stud to help this team and put them in a win-now position even more. Or we use that 15th pick to set us up for even more of a long-term run. So it's a win-win. We still got the 15th pick two spots behind. What are positions that uh, there's been rumors that Joey Porter Jr., the cornerback out of Ohio State. He's been rumored with the Giants and the Jets. Obviously, the Jets had him. It would mean because the Miami Dolphins, you know, you got, well, Miami Dolphins and the Buffalo Bills in our division, they both have great receiving cores. You know, you got Jalen Waddell over in Miami with Tyreek Hill. And then you got Gabe Davis with Stephon Diggs out in Buffalo. So we're going to need somebody to guard them. And they both got lot, uh, they both got very good tight ends, both teams as well. And then in the AFC, even outside of those teams, because now we've got to worry about other teams outside of the AFC East if we were really going to be in the playoffs now. You know, the Chiefs, they got Travis Kelsey, you got to guard. Juju Smith, you got to guard. And whoever Pat Mahomes is going to turn into a legit stud. Um, and then you got the Bengals, obviously. They got Jamar Chase. They got T. Higgins. They got Tyler Boyd. They got weapons all over. So you do need 
lockdown corners. Now you don't just need Sauce and DJ Reed. We could definitely use another one. So that's why I do make I do see why the Joey Porter Jr. rumor does make uh, does make sense for the Jets. Um, and it would be freaking awesome to have two lockdown corners for the next like five seven years. Um, young 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 cornerbacks too. Like DJ Reed is young at twenty six, but like a rookie cornerback again like that that would be fun. I mean, but I think you got to go O line at fifteen. Like, there's no doubt, especially like I said, um, Vera Tucker. The injury concerns, even though uh, before injuries last year hit him, he wasn't really like he wasn't really injury prone guy. But you still got to be worried. You still want depth on that O line, and plus adding another first round caliber line uh, O lineman to this team. You know, if Makai Becton, Vera Tucker, and whoever is at that fifteen pick, if it's an O lineman, if they're healthy. And they're making moves all year, then, dude, we're we're rocked. Like we already got Lake and Tomlinson. Hopefully, he can be a little bit more consistent. And obviously, with a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers coming in the room, if you're a veteran guy or even a young guy, you don't want to be the guy that fucks up. So, like Jordan Whitehead, for instance, he doesn't want to fuck up anymore. Like last year, if he fucks up, oh, big whoop! Zach Wilson's probably just going to throw a pick next drive, right? Well, if Jordan Whitehead fucks up, Aaron Rodgers is going to be fucking pissed off because he just threw a bomb down the field to Garrett Wilson. So that's another thing that Aaron Rodgers is going to provide. Um, but draft-wise, with the 15th pick, I think you go O-line 100%. Um, I'm going to pull up my list right here. We had the mock drafts going, actually. But I like honestly, the mock drafts kind of suck. I hate the mock drafts. It's like give me like our needs and give me who we should draft. But Jets draft rumors, you know, we saw the. What else did I see? That was um. Not. I think it was yeah, right here. Another Ohio State guy. Yeah, this guy, Dewan Jones, he's a stud. Reading about him a little bit earlier today, he's a stud. Um, you know, we were being talked about him when we had that 13th overall pick. Um, and then when you look at it, you know, it would put us in a position to kind of have a little bit of insurance for Makai Becton. Because Makai Becton, as I mentioned before, he's a guy who does get hurt a lot. And obviously we have Elijah Vera Tucker, who's a stud at the tackle position. But Dewan Jones being a tackle, obviously – Makai Becton would either have to take a step back or, you know, rotate in and out a lot more. But um, Becton obviously injured the past two years, injured really his whole entire career. So maybe it's a smart pick going with an offensive tackle. You know, I would prefer a center or even a guard. But then again, um, you know, I'm open to to really anything because there's really not that many holes on the Jets right now. And that's a good thing. You know, usually it's like, oh, the Jets are going to go quarterback. Or last year, the Jets are going to go cornerback or wide receiver, and they ended up doing both. Obviously, with the three first-round picks that they had, they got Jermaine Johnson with later on in the first round, too. Um, but now it's like Jets could do anything that they really want. You know, what do they want to do? So another guy was Jack Campbell, linebacker out of Iowa. That was another name that popped up with the Jets. He was a stud. Um, but he's only ranked like 43rd overall like in players-wise. So that's like the one thing that I was like a little questioning wise, like why are we going to take a guy that low with the 13th pick? Do we really even need a linebacker? Um, like, are we banking on that guy to turn? Like, cause with the 15th pick, it's not just making impact. Like it's, it's, you gotta be a long-term like 
player. Like, you know, so that's the one thing. That's why I think we should go old lineman, um, either center or guard preference. That's my preference. But, um, oh, Aaron Rodgers takes part in first media conference since being traded from oh, live now on the ESPN app. Oh, I think we should tune into that. Yeah, let's tune into that. Because I kind of want to freaking watch that. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go see what Aaron Rodgers has to say. And I think you guys should too because that's honestly a little bit more interesting than me. I'll even admit that. So, Giants draft rumors, I'll go over them real quick. Uh, real quick. Obviously, I've been talking about Trenton Simpson. I still think that Trenton Simpson is going to happen based off their linebacker needs. And Bobby O'Keefe being a stud that he is, he's going to need help. So, Giants improve the defense or get a wide receiver. I mean, um, there's been reports that Jameer Gibbs might be falling down, so that's why I put a Saquon Barkley replacement. So, if because, listen, let's be real. Running backs fall. I mean, Brees Hall was taken very late. He was taken in the second round for the Jets. So, uh, running backs do tend to fall now in this draft. So, maybe Jameer Gibbs falls. Maybe, uh, um, I'm not going to say B. John Robinson falls, but, you know, if one of those two do, I saw the Jameer Gibbs rumor today. And that really interested me because Saquon, obviously, the position that they're in with Saquon, you know, do they really want to give Saquon a deal longer than a year or two? Obviously not. You know, he's a 26-year-old running back. We all know what happens when running backs age, unless you're not Adrian Peterson. Um, so Giants, they might take a running back in the first round, especially if Gibbs or Robinson does fall, because I saw the Giants do love those two running back prospects, but it would only be those two apparently. Uh, I'm not saying I have a source. I'm saying this is what I saw on Google when you type in Giants rumors. Um, but yet, I'm going to go watch Aaron Rodgers talk to the media. You guys should too. Um, if you're watching this on YouTube, hit like right now. Hit like, hit like, hit like. Hit subscribe if you're not subscribed. If you're watching this on Twitter, hit like. Hit that retweet button too. Smash that freaking retweet button. Let's try to grow this shit. I'm trying to get more people on the on the pod too. Gonna have Bory on a little bit later, probably next week too. I'm gonna get Top Bunk on Top Bunk. Ugh, Top Bunk. Top Bunk on next week too, probably. Talking uh, not just Knicks. Um, you know, maybe a little dive into some Mets too. Maybe some maybe some football too, because he covers all sports too. So I'm gonna hit them up, see if I can get them back on next week, and then also we're gonna try to get on some more guests too throughout next week too. And throughout the uh, the rest of this week. So thanks for watching. Like I said, hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. And uh, thanks for always supporting me, man. You guys, you guys are the best. I love you guys. Shout out the guys that always watch. Shout out Eddie. Shout out Amish Country Matt for popping on today. By the way, big flex. On, uh, you know, you know the big flex emoji. That's what I always do. Shout out, shout out the guys. Shout out Keith. Shout out Shane Sons. Shout out Hector Blunt Thoughts. Shout out Chris from What's the Static. You know, shout out you guys for always showing me support. I really appreciate you guys. All love to you guys. Um, you know, really just trying to trying to grow together, and that's what I love. Collabing is uh, it's what's the best for us. But uh, yeah, let's uh, let's get out of here. Let's go watch uh, Aaron Rodgers talk to the talk to the ESPN. Deuces.